0: Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about tearing down Tolkien and rebuilding a fantasy world with mole dwarves, elves with antlers, and evil psychic hive gnomes. I'm James.
1: And I'm Brandon. Today we're going to be talking about reskinning your game world while keeping the really important things in mind, like mechanics and the fact that elves have antlers.
0: Yeah, okay, so we definitely need to just go through it, and I think I mean, because I think it's interesting, and I think it's it's both a starting point for the podcast and it's a starting point for this conversation, right, yeah, and so it might be interesting for people to to see and read,
1: yeah, I agree completely.
0: If I was going to include this part in the in the actual podcast, uh everyone should pause right now and go read that document in a whole. We'll wait, so now that you're back uh we're we're gonna maybe talk about this and maybe a little bit, maybe not, but we're gonna kind of talk about the 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 thing that started this conversation that brandon and i had in february of 2015 oh <laughs> my gosh dated is it that the far back yeah it says oh you know you know what's really terrible about
1: that that shows that we were thinking about stop hack and roll like march 2015 yeah because we talked about setting up the podcast like soon after this conversation
0: yeah yeah
1: it took us a year to get off the ground Woof.
0: Ugh. well we're here now
1: but now we're off the ground and we're actually approaching a year of doing this
0: yeah kind of cool oh um one thing i wanted to say for the record although editor james this might need to go earlier in the conversation um i wanted to really quickly welcome anyone who may be joining this podcast for the first time because they found us through noir world which has just fantastically uh, been backed and funded on Kickstarter. And um, we were one of the people who were lucky enough to get to talk to John. And so if you are joining us because you found us through that, then welcome to our podcast.
1: Yeah, we're so happy to have you. And uh, we are so happy to have previous listeners as well. And uh, I just pulled up the Noir World Kickstarter right now. Uh, as of this recording, it is at 16,775. I can only imagine it'll be higher than that by the time people are listening to it. But that means we have The tune, The Prom, Retro Heroes and Villains, uh, Narwhals for some reason, and we're rapidly <laughs> coming in on cyber. Well, I guess John is rapidly coming in on cyberpunk. I'm just so invested in this that I feel like I feel like I'm a part of it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to say that, like, we totally take credit for the fact that people pushed to get that Retro Heroes uh, goal. But, like, I mean, that's what we talked about on our podcast. And then that that back that level hit pretty quick. So and
1: I mean, you know, the first day that we had the Noir World episode out, uh, it funded. So so we're claiming victory for that one as well, but not all games. Are enormous hacks that take three hundred movies to watch and seventy two yeah. different versions.
0: Because because everyone who has ever played a game, as we've said many times, is has probably hacked their game, and and not all people feel the desire like John did to to do that kind of crazy, fully re- tearing everything out and putting it all back together. Kind of hack.
1: I would actually argue that literally every gamer has done some form of game hacking or modifying because what we're talking about a little bit today is reskinning. Mm-hmm. And there isn't... There isn't a game that covers everything within a setting. And so if you're adding something to a setting, I mean, if you're changing it in the least, that seems like reskinning to me.
0: Yeah, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about reskinning. We're going to talk about how you can take something as common and 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 maybe entropy as like a classic fantasy world and you can just reskin it and make it look uh how you might want it to look and then hopefully maybe toward the end we'll we'll get into saying okay maybe that's what's that's what like most people do but how can you take it a step further and start to like um change your mechanics to fit your aesthetics and 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 like work your way up maybe this is your first hack yeah um and, you, and and as you get more comfortable putting your own fingerprint and your own style in the world, um putting your your uh your mark on the game too
1: and a lot of these reskinning efforts have built into super cool stuff, but so like if you look at some of the major settings that we have for even very traditional games like Dungeons and Dragons, those came from somebody reskinning stuff, uh Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. Goes all the way back to the beginning of D and D. Even if you look at some of the really traditional game settings for things like Dungeons and Dragons, those come from people that are building, uh, are building worlds and hacking stuff.
0: I think Gary Gygax, like going back to original D and D, was like unabashedly trying to play Lord of the Rings, and so.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and then you had Dave Arneson, who had created uh, what went on to become Greyhawk, or the world of Greyhawk, which is kind of a big deal. That uh, (laughs) I I think he was actually—I think he even wrote that setting before D and D was officially published. And then, needless to say, we've got Faerun, we've got Eberron, we've got uh, oh, the Red Sky one that doesn't have metal it's super cool and, it's and bizarre play
0: a lot of those so Ugh,
1: i've played i think i've played all but one of those yeah
0: all my D games were set in custom worlds
1: most of mine were as well
0: uh but <laughs> which goes back to the, where we started with everyone plays custom worlds. yeah
1: it's almost like we brought this full circle
0: Uh, yeah and so so maybe you're you're playing maybe you're playing fifth edition maybe you're playing pathfinder maybe you're playing dungeon world you want to play you want to or whatever you're playing some other game too um and you want to you want to you want to like you want to bring those fantasy races with you maybe but you don't want to bring all the the tropes and the sort of uh i don't know negative aspects or things that are just feel old and samey and you want to mix it up a little bit so we're going to talk about that
1: yeah absolutely um and there's it doesn't invalidate the original world of the things. It's just what you are personally looking for.
0: Yeah, and and maybe actually we should say for the people who didn't take us literally and pause their podcast and go read this document that we're going to post in the show notes. Um, the conversation that Brandon and I had in February of 2015 was uh, exactly that was talking about all of the fantasy races and how could you sort of. Strip them down to their core and say, "Here are the things. Like here, you, here's how you rebuild a fantasy world, still having elves and dwarves and kobolds and humans and all these things, but have them be a little bit more unique. Have them be a little bit like have halflings that aren't just short humans, have dwarves that aren't just stocky short humans, have elves that aren't just skinny humans with bows who live as in trees. And how could you make them interesting? How could you make them unique? How could you make them diverse?"
1: And that doesn't necessarily even mean that you need to stick with those fantasy races, but if you're going beyond that, if you're doing something very different, then you're probably going beyond reskinning. Uh, yeah. But you know, there are plenty of worlds that are reskinned. I, I like honestly, at the risk of annoying some Shadowrun fans, that's a reskinning. That is a new set of mechanics to run Dungeons and Dragons with a lot of neon lights. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome.
0: The way it was always intended, Brandon.
1: Yeah, exactly. D&D should always have lots of neon lights, is what we're saying.
0: They just didn't have the budget the first time around.
1: Yeah, you have to remember, it was made really early, and there just wasn't a gaming community. How are they going to afford all that neon? So let's just kind of, before we say anything else, what is reskinning? How would you define it?
0: Um, I would define reskinning as... You are looking at a, you're taking a world, you're taking a universe, you're taking people, and you are you're tweaking them a little bit. You're saying this isn't like this anymore. It's like this. Um, mostly, it's aesthetics. You're saying I want I want to play D and D, but I want more neon tubes. I want trench coats. I want I want uh, computers. And then, what does that mean for the world? As you like take those changes that you want to make and then ripple them outwards.
1: It's interesting because I think reskinning can be a ton of work and can be a lot of content but it i think if it is reskinning it's actually almost less mechanical work than even just doing like a house rule would be yeah if if you're I if think, we're being real strict about it and i think part of it is going to be hey what if we're not strict about it
0: yeah i think that it's i think that reskinning is is a good entry point to hacking because it's 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 intuitive. I've, I've had so many conversations with my friends that followed some sort of pattern. Like we watched a movie and we thought that that's a cool world. But what if things were just a little different? And then we just talk for hours and hours on like what if what if they had guns or if they didn't have guns or if they only fought with whatever or if they just had like what if um, you introduced cell phones into Buffy or like how does that solve <laughs> their problems? How does that change things? And then and then you can just play those worlds and hand wave any kind of mechanical issues. But once you sort of feel more comfortable messing around in the in the game, because it looks a little bit more like your game because you changed the way things look. Well, then you can start to do things like we'll say, OK, well, now we have this thing. So we should like figure out do 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 vampires get burned by neon light the way they would that would the like sunlight might burn them do. No,
1: but it really do, sparkles exceptionally strongly
0: yeah and then and then does is there a mechanic that can flow out of that and then you start maybe tweaking the mechanics a little bit to make that fit your to to fit your new aesthetic and then you can kind of spiral outwards and 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 start taking apart the system and changing it to fit your aesthetic and because it's all in, in the same way that going back to last week's episode, John had the the idea and the and the definition of the genre he was trying to hit, you can kind of do a smaller version of that where you change the aesthetic and the look. And then tweak the mechanics to, slow, to fit that, that aesthetic.
1: As a brief aside, when you sparkle in the neon, it would be an amazing trigger for a move. Some of the reskinning that you can do can also be super minor, but do something important for you. Mm. For me, I had this weird belief. I had a reskinning thing that I was always doing in anything with elves that I wanted to give them antlers. And I couldn't figure out why I wanted to get them antlers for years and years and years. And then I realized that it was because the druid in DD 3.5 wears antlers and is an elf.
0: I think I figured that out for you.
1: You may have figured that out for me and pointed it out. I feel like out. you
0: were just like, you told me about how you you always want elves to have antlers. And I was like, is this why? And I found the picture of the druid. Yeah, I think that is You're what like, it that was. That is why. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: But like, you know, that for me, like... It, that is something that I would just drop into a game and be like, okay, yeah, you're talking, you're talking to the elf and, uh, the elf. that's wearing these gloves and it has, uh, bells dangling from its antlers and, and just continue moving on from it. And it just gives it a little bit of different flavor.
0: Yeah. And, and it can be a, it can be a, as much as anything can be a visual cue, in a in an imaginative (laughs) setting, uh, an imaginative game. Um, Those sort of aesthetics can be visual cues to tell people about the world.
1: Absolutely. It can also be used to make the world a little bit more inclusive, especially when you look at some of these traditional games. If you leaf your way through, there is not necessarily a lot of diversity in them. Yeah. Pathfinder took some pretty big steps forward and D&D 5th edition uh, did some of the same but if you look at earlier stuff, the only characters that won't look, uh, the only characters that won't look cisgendered and white will be monsters of some kind. There's a lot of things with uh, like half orcs that just, you know, happen to have darker skin and it's like, no, that's not just an okay thing for us to do if we're not going to have inclusivity in other places.
0: Somebody tweeted a picture this mar- uh, earlier today. That I wanted to. Okay. Uh, I'll try to find the picture um, because I was I was scrolling through Twitter and someone had posted this picture. They were having a, they were talking about a conversation they've had in the past, um, with, with talking with artists about things about how um, uh, the person always draws fit people in a, in the same sort of skinny uh, body type and how if you look at actual olympic athletes they're tall they're some of them are stockier some of them are shorter some of them are they're all different and they and people are not that's like people aren't always built the same way and so kind of thinking about i don't know how that really applies to to this but it just sort of reminded me that that like people there's there's a lot of diversity in people and and that a a rich and full game setting will incorporate that
1: absolutely but like that's the truth of it is that if you open up the player's handbook m- maybe you've got one or two player options that that at best codes as a different race in some way but like often it's not in ways that are inclusive so much as as demonizing and i don't want to spend like an enormous amount of time on this but Having representation within a fantasy world is really important. Uh, There's a, I think it was a a tweet storm of some kind that someone posted that was saying, that was arguing against people that say, hey, there's, there's, uh, there's no black people in my fantasy world, but they've got tons of potatoes around and everyone's having potato stew, which wouldn't be around in medieval Europe. But people oh, of yeah, different races that. were. Maybe we'll link to that as well. I thought that was a delightful read. And now there's no potatoes in my fantasy world. No, I can't. I can't be hating on t- on potatoes. I'm, yeah. I'm Peruvian. I can't, I can't hate on potatoes. That's not fair.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm Irish.
1: Yeah, I think we should actually go ahead and come forward right now and say that Stop, Hack, and Roll is pro-potatoes.
0: Yeah, which is, which I think, okay, so let's get into um one of the things that we had, <laughs> I think was maybe where this all started, was um we had started talking about that, of of, of that's, that sometimes the fantasy races in, in different things, they suffer from a little bit of the um, Star Wars single biome planet syndrome, where all elves are that tall, skinny thing, and they all live in trees, and they all use bows, and they all use magic, and they're druids. Yes. And they're all the same and dwarves all live underground and they're gruff and they're short and they're and they have beards and and every single one of them feels the same way and how that's 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 boring sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually some really weird things in Dungeons and Dragons that have been around for several editions, like dwarven weapon proficiency. Which is just a yeah. thing that every dwarf has specific weapons they know how to use all the time, no matter what. Yeah. And while there might be biological differences between the different species, which could be really cool and interesting to look at, and should be to an extent a little across the board, there's things that are cultural that just make zero sense to have
0: <laughs> As I'm reading back through this this document, and I'm remembering that we had made we had made dwarves furry. Yeah. I would forgotten about that's that. Amazing. They weren't just bearded, but they're just fur everywhere because we had decided that dwarves were not just, they weren't, they didn't live underground, but that they were cliff dwellers and that, that, that they were a, a that the larger sort of dwarven societies lived on, uh, coastlines and cliffs and so they needed the they had sort of evolved that the, a heavy fur layer to protect them from the elements and they were the reason why they were short and stocky usually is because it gives them a lower center of gravity to to climb on on the uh, on the on the side of the cliffs
1: exactly yeah that makes much more sense hopefully and so like if you do have your underground dwarves maybe workouts i mean they they've already got dark vision and a lot of things but like look at what are the things that make sense for being underground as opposed to well dwarves use axes right
0: uh, and and so we had said sort of if you have your your dwarven civilizations on the coastline then you then and, and on 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 cliffs then they then they build their houses in certain ways and then you can have interesting offshoots of the dwarves that have chosen to live just deeper underground and you can have the the elves uh, the dwarves that have chosen to go out to sea and become uh, like maybe seafaring dwarves and and dwarves that have gone to the plains up and over the cliffs and and as as a sort of civilizations build up around core city centers and then expand outward and then they bring with them i'm not an anthropologist but as you can sort of you can play with as cultures gr- like grow out of the sort of initial centi centers where the civilization is sort of born, they, they evolve and they change, not, not physically evolve, but they can, they can evolve. I mean, maybe physically evolve, but they can change their, their, their cultures and their, and their, their, um, their religions and their beliefs and their, the things that make that civilization and society work will have to change.
1: Well, one of the things that we talked about with the dwarves that was kind of, uh, evolution and biology shaping culture was that we talked about the idea of dwarves having claws and initially mm-hmm. having been burrowing creatures. And so when they've developed yeah. their civilization, they're not going to chop down trees and build buildings because they've got these long claws and they already have all of their dugout caves. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried we're going to get a little too distracted by just looking at other things and yeah, going like, yeah, oh, I, I want this want to, to be fun. So I think that it's important to think in terms of the broad picture of why you're doing the reskinning the way that you are, But then this actually leads quite nicely into a point about deriving mechanics. Because sometimes you will skin something and then realize you need to hack something as well. Yeah. I think that ties in a little bit with what we've talked about with dwarves. The dwarven weapon proficiency is dumb, uh, but they do have these big claws. And Mm -hmm. so those are both things that make some sense to include in some way in the game.
0: Yeah, and one of the nice things that I've been looking at um 5th edition recently because we've been working on some characters for a new project we're working on and and in 5th edition you are starting to see things where they say like there are there are forest or what is it um what are the the default uh gnomes there's rock gnomes and rock there's like, plains and gnomes Um and um and so you're starting to see that they each get slightly different things and so that would be a a a good uh, you can start to think about mechanically well, if I have the dwarves that live on, on, uh that are sort of in the core of the heart of the civilization, that live on the, the cliffs, or if they're the dwarves that live out at sea, well, then, like, they've spent time out there. It makes sense that they might have, like, a resistance to cold, that they are, their acrobatic skills or whatever might be a little higher because they're used to climbing on the sides of mountains. But if you're talking about a dwarf that has moved inland or lives underground, well, it doesn't make sense for them to still have that um so you might have a different set of mechanics to give them different bonuses like to dark vision or something
1: so how is it that you decide then what traits need mechanics and what traits don't
0: um i i as as the i think as a core rule i would say the traits the sort of aesthetics that you need to turn into mechanics are the aesthetics that will become important in a story way and that are interesting to you and that you'll want to because by making so I should maybe bash up back up and say um there's sort of a concept that whatever you have mechanics for those are the things that you'll be stopping and thinking about that you'll be stopping and rolling dice you'll be stopping and getting bonuses for and so your core mechanics reflect in some way what is important to you about the the story that you're telling absolutely as so think- if you if you if you put in a lot of mechanics for combat one that you're saying is the story that I'm interested in telling with this game is about combat.
1: Absolutely. And I was going to actually bring up precisely that, that it may depend a little bit upon what game you're playing. Yeah. If you're playing and so, Dungeons and Dragons, then ultimately you're talking primarily about adventure and combat. It yeah. probably doesn't matter if dwarves sew their clothing by tying pieces of Cloth to their claws and like you know, using those as unless nitty-
0: unless you want to bring that up as part of the game. As long as if that's important to your character, and I think if you're building a world like this with with your with with your players and letting them help define things like this, well then you can take cues from them about what they think is important and and help build mechanics to let them do the cool thing that they've always wanted to do because. Um, Because you're building the game. and That's 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 one of the benefits of of doing this kind of hacking.
1: That's absolutely true. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, But you probably don't want to... If your game is not about fashion, then you might not need to set up specific rules about how elves get fashion advantages while wearing fishnet. Yeah. But if it is, then yeah, put that in there. That's so important then. Then you don't yeah. care about their uh, their long long sword proficiency. Get rid of all proficiencies. Yeah. I hate proficiencies as a part of species. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. When you're going through your aesthetics and talking about, or when you're starting to think about, do I need to reinforce these aesthetics with a mechanic? You can start with what are the core things that the game is about, and then how how do the aesthetic we've created. Uh, how would the aesthetic that we've created affect that that core gameplay how what are the things that my players were the most interested in in the aesthetic and that might come up in the story or come up in the play that I should reinforce with the mechanic and then and so that will help you learn from them to make sure they are playing the coolest game that they want to play but you can also build in mechanics on your end to signal to the players what you are interested in playing And that way, together, you all build this world, both aesthetically and mechanically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess then when you hit that point of putting in the mechanics, there's some questions that just come from what system you're using.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, if you're doing D&D, then each... Like, if you're doing D&D species, and you might not be, you might be turning the cleric into a cleric that uses a, a stick that they hit people with to do their spells. Uh, you might not need to change anything, but yeah. if you're on like fantasy races and you're playing D&D versus Dungeon World, those are also two very different things. You can really do anything in Dungeon World. And at most, you're changing one thing in the playbook
0: yeah, you might want to come up with some moves that are more... I, I, it's been a while since I read uh, Dungeon World. Does Dungeon World have race-based moves?
1: So how that works is that you each playbook has a couple of races you can choose from. Okay. And each race has a single move, but it's not one of the rolling moves. Mm-hmm. So it'll say something like, uh, a human cleric gets an additional spell from the wizard playbook because humans are, you know, uh, adaptable and far reaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's basically that for each of them. So if you decide that, if you're maintaining kind of one of the core aspects of the creature, then you're probably not needing to change that move. Uh, but I mean like when you and I were talking, we were making, we've got some weird stuff with like, halflings being (laughs) gnomes being uh bug creatures fungusy
0: hive mind i think
1: yeah and halflings being uh plants uh oh yeah and so those would both maybe need a new move for some of the playbooks Mm -hmm. but you might not need one for everything i actually think there's some space for compendium classes i'd love to see some of those for dungeon world that it's like a this is the dwarf compendium class where if you when you connect with your culture and take time reveling in it take this compendium mm-hmm. class yeah
0: yeah and 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 for something like i was thinking something like fate this is super easy cuz all like all you really have to do is come up with a list of aspects from your or Or help your your players pick aspects from th- that relate to the things in the aesthetic, like all you need to do is have an aspect for your dwarven character that says that they grew up in the high city of the Dwarven Empire on the cliffs of wherever, and that implies things that they can they can tag later and bring into their character
1: so I can just have beautifully decorated antlers as one of my yeah. aspects, and then I'm okay with elves mm-hmm. I still can't get over that need for that.
0: It, I, I like it.
1: I, I like it too. I feel like it's cool. It makes them feel. I also very knew vague. immediately.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and our, our, I think our elves were very like that. I think they were, they were locked in the, they were locked in combat with the undead. They were, they were immortal creatures that were there to c- like combat the undead. I think
1: we ended up with a ton of stuff on elves, which I think is in like every fantasy heartbreaker ever. Yeah. Either has you know, like no elves. I hate elves. Or it's like, oh, you'd like to be an elf? Well, would you rather be a moon elf or a star <laughs> elf or a luna elf?
0: Yeah, our elves were a dying civilization, I think. Yeah. They were like it, it, they were a dying, I mean not that not that not that like Tolkien's elves aren't a dying civilization. Well, but.
1: I think that was something we were trying to maintain cuz that's that's another thing when you're doing reskinning this is actually kind of an interesting thing with, with reskinning fantasy specifically is a lot of people look for those touchstones mm-hmm. so that they'll get them quicker. So they'll get to the game quicker.
0: Oh, here, well, here's the thing that can, we can talk about that uh, off of the elves that was interesting and it, can, and it might be something you would want to mechan- turn into a mechanic was we had sort of started saying, well, okay, so elves live forever, but what if they kind of just, or then they don't live forever, but they live for long periods of time. Right. But, but they have sort of basically this a, a similar physiology as a human. So after about a hundred or two hundred years or so, they start to maybe go a little bit like they've seen some things. They've especially because they're all locked in this like eternal conflict with the undead. What if they kind of go crazy after a while? Oh um, yeah. <laughs> and and then their society has to have ways of dealing with like when 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 beings that are sentient just like live for too long what happens to them right if you've
1: lived for 800 years that's that's a lot
0: yeah and so do you need to have a? do you get negatives to your skills do you have to perform rituals to keep yourself centered do you are you shunned by the rest of your civilization now because they see you as as, uh, as like useless because you can't focus on the fight anymore or what happens there does
1: your alignment shift to chaotic <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i like that that gave me all sorts of ideas of like these crazy old elves going out in boats as pirates and stuff like that
0: yeah that was one like that that's one of the things that i that i enjoy about uh about playing these kinds of fantasy worlds is sitting down and thinking, well, what does it really mean to be a thing that can live 800 years? Yeah. Like, does that do things to you? Do you, what are all old, old elves always rich because they've just like collected pennies one day at a time? (laughs) Are they like, is there a whole like weird civilization of super old, super wealthy elves that control politics everywhere because they just dominate everything because they live forever? How could they not? Um, yeah, how could they not? And then you can kind of build whole worlds off of that just by sort of thinking and taking these things to sort of weird, wild conclusions.
1: Well, right. Like, in order to avoid elves just owning everything, you almost need to give them something specific to deal with. Yeah. We keep getting we keep getting pulled off by talking about our, our fantasy world, so.
0: hmm Well, okay, so here's another thing <laughs> but, I want to talk about. But it about. means some
1: people are into that.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about that, that sort of uh, single biome planet thing we talked about yeah. with sameness and how, and, and it's, it's the same thing that you were talking about with um, racial weapon proficiencies and how that's just totally nuts. Um, yeah. And how, even if you were just taking sort of these core Tolkien-esque races sort of at, at, at sort of what, as, as we sort of mostly know them from D and D, how can you in your particular game, focus on building different n- and less samey feeling civilizations. How can you make sure that all your elves aren't all using bows and living in, in, uh, in, in the woods. And, and because that will make that world feel more lived in when you find, when your characters run into different, if, if you're, if all you're doing when you travel the countryside is every, every set of woods you run into has a civilization of elves, and they're all the same everywhere you go. That's just not going to feel interesting to you, and and eventually you'll lose little you'll lose your players.
1: Well, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think that there are some people nope. that love tropes.
0: Okay. Like I, that's fair. I have that's to fair. say,
1: I am someone who loves tropes. I play Dungeon World with a huge grin on my face because mm-hmm. somebody goes, "I'm going to be a fighter," and I go. Ooh, what fighter are you going to be and they're like i'm going to be a dwarf and i'm like yes that is the true form of four fighters and then getting to go into your scottish accent and having an axe and wearing heavy armor and <laughs> like you know those tropes are yeah they're old yeah they're played out but you know so are b-horror movies and b-horror yeah, horror. movies are also okay. really good
0: that's true That's true so but yeah. But so I, I guess where I was trying where I was trying to go with this is it, that you can you can take these things and you can think about the civilizations and, and I was trying to think about different ways that you can kind of avoid making all elves or all dwarves or whatever feel the same. Um and that one of the ways you can kind of do you can think about that is you can think about um like in a lot of in a lot of human societies in real world, in the real world, um and i don't mean this in in a, in a like an overtly political way but there's there's a status quo of kind of the way the world is and there is usually forces of conservatism that like the way the world is now and want to keep it that way or want to go back to the they're like the they want to they want to hang on to traditions mm-hmm. because there are people who like traditions and there are people who are moving on from those traditions because either they're physically moving away from the core of the civilization or something is changing cultures change and and trying to to represent that changing of cultures can help you change make your make all of your elves or dwarves whatever feel less samey
1: that's actually pretty cool i could see that leading to some really fun plot hooks
0: yeah and that's kind of where i was going with this because you can like i was like like with the example of the dwarves you can say well here's like the heart of their civilization here's where the dwarves started they are on this this cliff but there's there are there are groups of dwarves that have offshoot that have shot off from that main group where they're they're merchants and they're they're sailing the seas now and there are some that have moved up onto the plains well then what changes in their cultures when they move out into the into the water or onto the plains what what um what what traditions they have to give up and what traditions they have to build new and then how do they clash when they come back together
1: yeah and that's actually something that you can do in a really cool narrative way Um, as you know I'm a big fan of the gauntlet and Jason Cordova over there does a thing that he uh, asks his players to paint a scene and he'll ask each of the players what is one thing that shows you that blank so you could say what is one thing that shows you that these dwarves have given up their ancient duties? And then each player Mm -hmm. describes a physical thing and abruptly, you've got a new culture and that's so cool.
0: Yeah. And, and then when you, I I like, um, going wildly off topic here, not off topic, off, off genre here. Uh, one of the, the great examples of this is um, James S. A. Corey's uh, Expanse series of books, um, which is a sci-fi novel, which is why we're wildly off genre. Well, it's also a TV um, show that I watched
1: several episodes of and meant to watch more of and will and, eventually. And one
0: of the, yeah. And one of the things that they do is because it's, it's a sci-fi, but there are only humans, but there are humans who grew up in the gravity well of Earth where they can go outside and they can and mm-hmm. they can... Um, They can see the sky and they don't have to worry about water or air. And there are humans that grew up on Mars and they're different because they are still in a gravity well, but they have domes and they have to still work for their water. And there are humans that grew up in for generations out in the belt with no gravity and no water except for stuff that's reclaimed. And what changes, what, what sort of um, cultural institutions do you have to build? Like, when you're out in the belt if you mess around with the water source or the the oxygen uh filters they just like they're like in the book these characters are cold they'll just they'll put you out an airlock for looking at the water funny because because that is a, a a tradition of their society that has that moved from when when they moved out there because if you mess with the water source you'll destroy the whole ship and so they just can't tolerate that at all. And so it's interesting and it creates interesting story points when they run into people from earth who aren't who weren't raised in that in that culture and that society. Um because they feel like it's 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 brutal and it is, but that's what how they've changed. And 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 seeing changes in in their sort of um absolute form Not absolute form. Seeing changes in isolation, like when you follow characters who are just out in the belt, or if you are just talking about dwarves who have gone out to sea, then you can see how those things are changed and your characters can see how those things have changed and how the societies have grown and and evolved. And then you can bring them back and have the belters interact with people on Earth, or you can have the sea dwarves come back to port and and have to sell things to the, the cliff dwarves, and then you can see how they interact with each other, and those can be interesting story points.
1: Yeah, and you can even just pepper things in. If your characters go to a tavern, maybe you tell them, hey, there's a table of young dwarves that appear to have shaved their beards, and they're talking about how humans have this other methodology of living and blah, 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 and suddenly you've got this little political storyline that maybe people could follow, or maybe not.
0: Mm-hmm. And even if it's just a throwaway thing, it will make the world feel diverse and different and interesting.
1: I actually really like coming up with a couple of like place names and just throwing them in, in terms of like, oh, you see a merchant from, from Kalalor, And they're wearing the traditional uh, robes, and they've got a a pair of spectacles uh, on their nose. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you just kind of toss that in. It's just a character. It's just someone who's there. But now we know that there is a land somewhere that they have robes, and apparently spectacles exist there, whether they do (laughs) here or not. And so just tossing all those little things in make, make it so that you can say, like, you know, oh, there's an elf in really heavy armor. He's from uh, the the river hills up north and blah, blah, blah. And then abruptly, all elves aren't living in forests anymore.
0: Even if you never go there. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse games have basically lists of visual imagery. And just kind of having that and throwing something in, you know, that could do it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, another thing that I wanted to say that is interesting is um, is that we tend to think of those like if you if you let's just keep harping on Tolkien here, but like if you're thinking about the elves, the elves all live in their in their walled communities in the woods, and the dwarves all live in their underground lairs, and there aren't really many places where like those two civilizations meet. But that's that's not. That's not real. Like, in the real world, there's there are places where cultures clash against each other, and and those and 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 then they and change come and together. they mold and cultures come together. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean I don't mean in a in a negative way, but in a positive way too. And so you can say, well, if you have these sort of sea dwell or if you have these these cliff dwelling dwarves and maybe there's on the the uh, above the cliff there's a forest so there's gonna be elves living in and around that forest because you've established they live in forests like a lot of elves do um or in this case the elves are everywhere i think in our universe i think so um but there's a civilization of elves that are living on the the plains on the top of this cliff so how like it's not just like the one-off token dwarf that lives with the elves but there's a whole like those two cultures are mixing and they're trading and they're communicating and they're fighting evil together and how do they rub off on each other what what elven tr- uh, traditions do those dwarves pick up and how did the how does it change their traditions and vice versa
1: Exactly Um I am actually just reminded of like the at least in the 3.5 Dungeon Masters guide there was like a table for rolling for different civilization sizes and like what percentage of creatures of each uh of each species would be in each one so like if you've got a hamlet i think there's very little chance of it being a uh, multi-species place but if you've Mm -hmm. got like a metropolitan center then it's going to be full but there's no reason that everything couldn't be like that there's no reason you couldn't play a world that has that has things that are just out maybe maybe gnomes aren't everywhere maybe gnomes are especially hidden away because mm-hmm. obviously gnomes are ant creatures. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and as you and as and you can and you can and, and I think the important thing in in all of these things we're talking about is varying them in in the a when you're when your characters are going to merchant cities, then obviously you'll see more of of different types of people. But if you're going to a city that's heart like deep in the heart of, of gnome territory, well then it's just gonna be a lot of gnomes. and they might be be more isolated and they'll be more sort of maybe conservative or traditional or whatever or or not but they'll be more isolated from they'll they'll have only other gnome traditions to affect them and not as many dwarven traditions exactly and that's how you can kind of make an interesting world without letting all of your dwarves end up being the same or all your gnomes end up being the same. And, and, and by sort of having those areas where your cultures are naturally sort of touching against each other and affecting each other and changing each other, you can have like when you read the, 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 the race and, 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 and when you read the player's handbook for D and D and it ta- and you ta- and you listen and read about um, like half half elves it talks a lot about how they are that that sort of multicultural or whatever split cultural beings, and a lot of it talks about the internal pull of they feel both of those cultures pulling on them, and they feel a little bit outsidery in both of those cultures. And the game kind of makes it sound like they are literally outsidery, like half elves are literally pushed away from human society yeah. and elf society. And you, and I think that that's that's like that's just kind of. in in a lot of ways, not the way the real world or fantasy worlds have to be built. You can build worlds where there are, there will be areas where elves and humans merge, and there will be half-elves, and there will be, and those areas will be full of people who are half-elf and half-human, and they will have a cool, interesting culture.
1: Right. The assumption that half-elves have to be completely shunned by both societies is just so demonstrative of the idea that everything has to be a monoculture, yeah, And I'm not trying to throw shade on D&D. Um, and actually, I love half-elves and always play to half-elf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't have the assumption that every species is trying its very hardest to never interact with any of the others, or at least not every person of every species is mm-hmm. trying hard to not interact with the others, then maybe you can have less of half-elves not being able to connect with themselves.
0: Yeah. And 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 I I don't think that. And and like I know you've talked a little bit about you about your feelings about half elves and I think that, <laughs> and, I, and and I think that none of that is to say that those that those 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 conflicts shouldn't like those internal conflicts can't still be there. Oh yeah. But to say that those internal conflicts are reflective like hard reflective of the the physical world around them out externally. As well as internally is 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 where I have some problems.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I I've had to spend some time trying to understand my identity as someone who is uh, half Peruvian and half Nebraskan. <laughs> uh and so, like, you know, I've got uh Latino things in my life that are really important to me. And I root for the Nebraska Cornhuskers as loud as anyone from uh the big red state. But like, you know, that took time, but it's not like it's not like, for the most part, I'm being uh, literally kicked out by anyone from either of those two groups. Yeah, and like you know, there is there is obviously I don't want to get too political in this, but yeah. obviously there are going to be there there are difficulties in being biracial that are super legitimate and are I think mirrored pretty well in the half elf experience, but. It doesn't have to be that way. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with creating a world where some areas of it, some pockets of it, some cultures within it are super on board with that.
0: Yeah. And depending on how much that's what you're interested in telling in your story, there's lots of interesting ways you can play play that and and show that and 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 sort of what I was getting at is if if that storyline of that of playing off of multiple cultures clashing against each other or or merging and and creating different cultures is something you're interested in, then obviously you don't want to just have everywhere be one thing or another because you want to see the all of the vast and ver, ver, uh, like. Um, the vast and varied ways that cultures meet and react to each other exactly because that's interesting that's how you tell a good story and that's how you have interesting characters that feel real or maybe you want real people are
1: or maybe you want the elves to be in the woods and you want the dwarves to be in a hole underground and you're cool with that and that's the trope you want Mm -hmm. to play because you just want to bash some orcs and that's also fine
0: yeah Or, or you want your gnomes to be ant people
1: or you want your halflings to reach the end of their lives and turn into trees that are still conscious and still talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite thing in our in our silly little world is the idea that that halflings root after a while
0: yeah we definitely started with dwarves that were still basically dwarves and elves that were still basically elves and then by the time we got to halflings and gnomes and stuff we were just like all right let's change these guys a lot because here are the races that we care a whole lot about and well
1: what i was kind of trying to do as we were going through it is to make everything just a little bit more alien so like mm-hmm. i took yeah. the dwarves and i was like what are dwarves dwarves are moles and so i tried to make them moles and I was like, "What are elves? elves are fairies, and so I tried to make them more like fairies uh then humans were like we went with kind of like an ancestral bond thing uh halflings I mean halflings have a whole nature thing, right? <laughs> kind of uh yeah. and just made them more naturey gnomes oh, turn blood
0: they have sap, of course I they have sap about that. that's so good. And-
1: Oh, this is still light to go through. If you have yeah. a silly little world you've written, be sure to write some of the stuff in it down so that you can take a look at it later.
0: Yep. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: I'm not happy with our kobolds. Our kobolds don't have much going on.
0: Eh, yeah, we need to work on those.
1: Yeah. And orcs, we have a single line Orcs, <laughs> who are more like tusked fishmen.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. We had our orcs peep part fish. Yeah. That was funny.
1: Which I'm not sure uh, why, but I kind of like. Yeah, it.
0: there's there's no other lines. <laughs> there's no so there's justification.
1: No yeah, uh, but yeah,
0: I, I like. I, I think, and and so you can see that that was where Bra- Brandon and I are both on on board of this idea that 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 the dwarves should be more than just short, stocky humans that live underground. Yeah, and that that things that have gener- genuinely evolved differently from each other um should feel a little bit more alien
1: yeah and i mean like part of that also was that you and i were having some some difficulty with kind of the the culture versus kind of like almost nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. that we're looking and seeing like oh look gnomes have illusion magic all gnomes no matter what and that's weird And, like, all elves know how to use both long swords and long bows, no matter what.
0: And so you can kind of, you can say, oh, well, okay, well, maybe they don't all, all gnomes don't have illusion magic. That's just the primary culture. Or you can say, well, we did, like, all gnomes have illusion magic because they've been enthralled by a deep, dark thing they dug too deep into the ground and found. And that's why they're all part of this hive mind. Exactly. And they all have, they all have, every single gnome has the same illusion magic because it's all part of the hive brain that they have been controlled by
1: right exactly no no it makes sense
0: yeah yeah and so you can take those things and say the things that all that are true of everyone in the species are because the species is so alien that of course they all do things the same way
1: and like with humans there's the whole human thing of adaptability with extra skill points and feats and we were we took that and said hey humans have a direct mental connection to some of their uh, their ancestors because they are the young race that doesn't last long. And so that those extra skill points, that that extra feat is because, you know, because your, your grandmother had this awesome thing that she did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think we might We've be... We've gone so we're like far afield
1: in so much of this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, dive into
0: this old... Yeah, I hope that diving into this this interesting document that we wrote is as interesting as it is to you guys as it is to us. Um, and that you can kind of gleam from it and from this conversation we just had about how you can go about rethinking things in your, in your games and, and just not taking things for granted, I think is the big thing. Yeah. You don't have to do elves that all live in forests. You can change that if you want to. You yes, can change anything really- if you want to.
1: If you're playing a fantasy game, there's really only one thing that you're not allowed to change, and that is that elves have antlers.
0: <laughs> right. Of course.
1: Everything else is optional. Whether elves are even in your world or not is optional. But if they are, they have antlers. So yeah. get over it.
0: Yeah. So like I said, we'll post, we'll clean up this document of, uh, of our thoughts and just like random thoughts. I think while I was working of uh our of this interesting fantasy world i think we were talking about i forget if this was before or after that that play by post uh thing we were trying where we were going to talk about where we, we were in a fantasy world just post a, ma- a massive apocalypse this was so we were way rebuilding after was it way after okay yeah that was, so we that were just talking about thing we were just we talking to make about a
1: rotating gm uh game
0: yeah and we were trying to build a fantasy world from scratch and we had an interesting discussion. And we hope that discussion is interesting to you guys. And maybe and, we'll keep
1: on playing with it and editing it. It probably yeah. won't be the world for tales from the cook or uh, no. Sequential encounters. No. Um. I um, mean, what? Don't mention hype things.
0: But so, tell us about the things that you do that are weird. That you that that you change. What what things in fantasy universes have you always had beef with that you want to change? What what things and um. And then how do you hack them into your games? How do you incorporate them? How do you play with, with culture and race and, and classes and stuff like that and, and racial weapon proficiency? And 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 you can tweet those at us. Yeah. That's, a, that's probably the best way that you can get in touch with us. Do your elves we,
1: have antlers? Do they have horns? Do they have long tooth-like protru- protrusions from their heads?
0: Yeah. What kind of antlers do they have? Yeah, Are they long antlers? Are they short antlers? Like twisted? Um, <laughs> so, you can find us both at the same time sometimes at stop hack and roll, or if you just want to tweet at Brandon or at myself individually, I'm at end of the meltdowns
1: and I'm at Dr. Captain Cobalt. We have a website at stophack Roll dot com
0: We are where we post all of our episodes, and that's about it. It's <laughs> at got, some point we'll
1: it's got links to a couple oh, books got got some links to the games, games and stuff, yeah. yeah.
0: And then as we, as we, as we sort of start hyping more of the other projects we're going to work on that, that website will grow and be a, a, but it's always a good source of a central source of information about us. Those are just Um, on the
1: horizon. I'm, I'm kind of chuckling to myself because we're approaching our, uh, anniversary in May and it might be that we're going to be releasing stuff around that time. Although don't, no promises, no promises.
0: I'm I'm one microphone away from having all the equipment we need. I'm hoping that we can start so. even earlier than that. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But so getting back to our contact information. Yes. You Oops. can email us at either James or Brandon at com.
1: We are also on Facebook and Google Plus, although I've not been doing a great job of updating either of those. Uh, And either of those were Stop, Hack, and Roll. Uh, Oh, do we want to mention the Discord? tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord.
0: Mm -hmm. Or if you back us on Patreon, you can find a link to our Discord from there.
1: And yeah, speaking of the Patreon, uh, if you want to support the show and help us to grow this network to create more and more wild and crazy projects, uh, consider backing us. We're at patreon.com slash stophackandroll. This network and the projects that we do would not be possible without the backing of our patreons patreons like rob abrazado robert kosek nick clark troy pickleman troy pitchelman ryan should i say james's friend ryan
0: (laughs) you can just say ryan awkward ryan
1: riverhouse games steven mitchell evan brower blake ryan declan chadbourne and rob harvey
0: if you want to support us but you can't but you don't have room in your budget right now for for a financial support, then there are many other ways you can support us. You can talk about us on Twitter. You can talk you can send um there was just a big uh um podcast thing that I we didn't really take part in where uh the in in the month of March that was the tripod no. thing. Did you hear about that? Uh a lot of the podcasts that I listened to were involved in this tripod event, uh spelled T R Y pod like tripod um which is all about just getting podcasts out there to people the whole medium is growing pretty rapidly and but it's still very young and so you can just take us take take your phone take your ipod take whatever to a friend and put your buds in their ears and say listen to this thing that i really enjoy and have them try a podcast even if it isn't our podcast but it should be our podcast um or you can go to iTunes or whatever, whatever place that you listen to this and, and give us a, a thumbs up or a five stars or a rating of some sort. Um, and that'll help boost our, our visibility and, and yeah. our rating, I guess, <laughs> um, and that'll help other people find us. And that's that's just as valuable to us as any financial donation. And honestly, just
1: having make. people that we are able to talk to in this community is so wonderful. Uh, thank you all so much for everything that you do as a, as a hobby. So, as your legs slowly root into the ground and your phosphorescent sap hardens surrounded by your family. <laughs>
0: oh, God. Don't forget to stop, hack, and roll.
1: (laughs) yeah and leather and tubes the internet's not a truck